Welcome to Primary Technology, a show focusing on technology companies, the gadgets they make, and why they matter to our lives. I'm Stephen Robles, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Aten. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, it, this is exciting. We're finally doing this. I'm very excited. We have podcasted a few times uh, the last several years together, usually doing a year in review. So I think it's fitting that this kind of uh, pre-launch episode is also a year in review. But we're going to talk about more about Apple, I think, for the first time. We're going to talk about like Google, AI. You know, you write about all of that. So yeah, I think it'll be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, if viewers and listeners don't know, which you can view on YouTube, youtube.com slash at primary tech show. And of course, you can listen in all the podcast apps. Jason is a technology writer for Inc.com. Uh, how long have you been writing for Inc? It's been a while, right? So, yeah, I started in like 2019. So almost okay. five years. Okay. And I don't know what I can consider myself now. I guess it, maybe it's safe to finally say YouTuber. Am I allowed to say that now, Jason, you think? You, you're allowed to say that. It's just like nobody says that anymore. Oh, you right? don't say that? Yeah, so I'm a you're creator. finally a YouTuber. But aren't they content creators? Isn't that uh, yeah. the thing? I guess I'm a con content creator, which mainly on YouTube. Yeah. But, but anyway, but also net podcasts again. And uh, I will say not podcasting for a few weeks. I, I got the itch. You know what I mean? It's like I was doing it for four to five years every week. Uh, multiple shows and uh, you just had to scratch each again. So um, anyway, glad to be recording. Let's talk about 2023, looking back a year in review. And of course, we're going to talk about Apple because it's the biggest tech company and we're both Apple people. You know, we use all the Apple stuff, but we're going to talk about other companies too, like Google. I'm going to talk about AI and social networks. We're going to do kind of a best and worst. What were the best things that happened throughout the year? The highlights from the different companies and maybe some flops. And um, I talk about my Apple device ranking video as well, which was uh, very controversial, especially with basic Apple guy. But uh, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that later. So best and worst Apple releases. I looked back, Jason, there were two Apple events for 2023. <laughs> two. I feel like the year before was maybe two or three as well, but it was WWDC, which we got some hardware releases. We got the Mac Studio with M2 Ultra and we got the Mac Pro, uh, neither of which tempted me to upgrade. And then we got the 15 inch MacBook Air and the Vision Pro was announced, but not released. And I feel like, I don't know how you feel. I feel like Vision Pro took over the year in Apple news as a product not yet released. And that's kind of all, that was the excitement. That's all people talked about really i think the rest of the time except until we got to the macbook pros we'll get to that in a second i mean did you feel like a slow year for you as far as apple hardware releases yeah it was definitely different obviously i would agree the vision pro was the thing that everyone is sort of anticipating right and we in the news on the vision pro kind of continues to trickle out there was like just a story recently about how they may be targeting you know, later this month in January for releasing it. Right. But at the same time, you know, we've heard, we've heard developers who have had a chance to use it. I had a chance to use it back at WWDC, right. but Apple hasn't really said a whole lot more about it since then, other than they continue to expect to release it in early 2024, whatever that means. Right. Late December, I, I, cause I have a developer account. And so I got an email, but late December, Apple was like, get ready. <laughs> Vision Pro is coming. And typically when they send those kinds of emails, it's for an imminent release of a product typically within a month or two and that was around i think december 19th that email went out so could be end of january i think german uh, was saying again very soon but uh, but we'll see I'm, I'm excited for it i know you actually got to try it i'm i'm curious what the buying process is going to be we didn't plan on talking about apple vision pro but we're here so <laughs> i'm curious the buying <laughs> process because i know there were some rumors last year about like you'll have to go in the store and there'll be like fitting processes i'm curious if there will be an option to just like hit buy and have it shipped like every other Apple device. 
Yeah, I mean, and I asked that question when I was oh. at, uh, at WWDC. I asked that question, and I, at the time, Apple said, you won't have to come physically to a store to do this. Okay. You know, all of the things you'll need to do, you'll be able to do like with your phone, that kind of thing. You can send in your prescription. You can do the scan, right? Because you have a LiDAR sensor on your phone. Right. So all those things. But, I, you know, there have since then been reports that Apple is spending a lot of energy training its retail staff to do this and that maybe you'll only be able to do the whole process in person. If that's the case, I'm not sure whether that's because they've decided that the process won't work very well unless you're in person or if it's they are trying to limit right. kind of the supply demand, right? Because they're, we're not expecting there to be millions of these things available. I'm not sure there are millions of people who want one. Well, maybe they want one, but they can afford <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, they can get one. Yeah. So maybe there's kind of an artificial limiter there. But I I will just say Apple did say that you won't have to order them in person. Okay. But again, that was in June. Sometimes things have changed. For sure. And I know some people commented like, oh, that's how the Apple Watch, original Apple Watch was at first, which was not the case. I actually ordered the original Apple Watch and got it shipped to me. And I did not have to go into the store or do anything like that. So I think if you wanted to buy it in store, they wanted you to kind of make an appointment. And they might do more fittings or whatever, but there was still the option to buy online and just get it shipped straight to you. And th that's what I did for and got it on launch day. So I think that unless you're literally not located close enough to go to like a $3,500 purchase for this that requires so much, you it's probably worth, you can make the trip. It's for sure. You're, for sure. If you've got that kind of money to spend on this, it's, it's, that's not going to be the limiting factor for you. Unless I can make a vlog about it if I pick it up in store. So I'll probably do that. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> idea. We'll do that. So the best and worst, you know, we had that event. We had the iPhone event where we got iPhone 15, 15 Pro, Apple Watch Series 9, and Ultra 2, and then the Scary Fast event. So three events. No, I was I was wrong. It was three events. Scary, the WWDC. Yeah, two and a half, really. Yeah. The Scary Fast event was like <laughs> twenty nine, kind of an event, but yeah. yeah. Plus it was shot on iPhone, so it's not even a real event. Just kidding. I'm not going to bring that. <laughs> I'm not going to bring that <laughs> real. controversy back up. Uh, but yeah, then the Scary Fast event. So if we were doing best and worst... I guess let's do the best first. I will say of all the actual product releases, which, well, I won't get to the worst yet. I think the M3 MacBook Pro lineup, from my perspective, is probably the strongest release of the year. Three nanometer process. We got the M3 Pro and M3 Max all at once and the Space Black as well. And I, I resisted for a whole, I think, uh, week before buying it, or maybe it was about three or four days. And then I went and got it and I traded in my M1 Pro for M3 Pro. I do not regret it because I will say I've been doing more editing away from my Mac studio on the desk. And I do find that the M3 Pro is very fast when it comes to exporting 4K video. When I send a project to compressor and have it go out, I do find it, it might actually be slightly faster than my M1 Max Mac studio. I do not have an ultra anything. Names are hard. Yeah, names are, <laughs> names are hard. Maybe I'll have an M3 ultra uh, later this year, but I've enjoyed it. I think it's an incredible uh, product. I think the Space Black looks blackish sometimes. It does look gray at other times, but I just like that there's a different color. And it's just an incredible laptop. Like if you needed a MacBook Pro, it is one of those Apple products where it's just such an easy, get the MacBook Pro right now. It is great. In even the base model MacBook Pro, which is no longer the touch bar, you know, that finally transitioned that weird, like inexpensive quote unquote model or the base model to be to match the rest of the MacBook Pro lineup and I think that's a it's just a great move so yeah I would agree I think that the MacBook Pros they were the M3 variety was the I mean again there was not that many things that were released right, right. the 15 inch MacBook Air is actually great that is true I don't know who needs the 15 inch MacBook Air but I do think there's probably a lot of 
companies or schools that are going to order them for people who needed a slightly bigger screen. And it's wonderful. Like I actually have one sitting right here still. I have to send it back because I don't have a lot of use for it in my life. <laughs> but it is actually, you know, it is worth mentioning that Apple right. delivered a product that people were asking for. Like we, it's easy to forget that back in the middle of the of last year, this is a product everyone was like, please give us the MacBook Air, but with a bigger screen, right? right? Give us this more more screen real estate. Don't make me jump up to like a, what is it? A $2,500 computer before you can get the 16 inch MacBook Pro. Right. So I do think that that is a worthy sort of second place, but I think I would agree that the MacBook Pros are by far the best release that Apple did. And I think that would probably be true even had they released more than a couple products this year. Right. I would also argue that I have been extremely impressed with the 5X lens on True. my yes. iPhone 15 Pro Max. And I am not a Max-sized person for phones. Same. But I really like it. I use it yeah. all the time. And it's Same. it's completely usable. And I don't understand how it's so much better than the 3X was on the 14 Pro. But it just is. It is, it is. just... It is very good, and I'm a like I'm a photographer by trade, so I do care very deeply about this kind of thing, and I use it all the time. I used to take my Nikon mirrorless camera with a 70 to 200 meter zoom to like soccer games or to gymnastics meets. I don't even need to do it anymore because this right. thing, it, it it in my mind, a very worthy upgrade in a year that most people were like they didn't do anything. Right. So I, I totally agree, and and it should be a very close second uh, for me because I I am not a Pro Max guy either. And I went Pro Max specifically for the 5X camera. And I have I use it all the time as well. I think especially if you have kids or if you're outdoors a lot or you just are in any places where you want to take photos of stuff far away. I can think like on the water, like boats and stuff, or if you're at the beach or even just like city travel. You know, you, you're traveling or you're going to a city. You want to get cool shots of buildings that are far away or just interesting shots on the street. I find the 5X camera, it's just like you said, some reason way more useful than the 3x was on the 14 pro and i've actually i've actually gotten used to the larger size jason i've i uh i can send stuff now uh from from like case manufacturers and then they frequently send me the wrong size they send me like the pro version instead of the pro max and whenever i hold a pro case now i'm like this is a such a baby phone I did, how did I do this for so long i don't know i don't know why that changed so quickly in my mind i think it took maybe a week at the max two weeks, pun intended, uh, but to get used to the Pro Max. But now that I'm used to it, I don't think even if the 16 Pro and Pro Max are on par later this year, I don't think I'm going to go back. I think I'm going to be Pro Max all the way. How's been your change? It's, it is a big difference. And when I pick up my wife, my wife now has my 14 Pro. And when I pick that up, I'm like, oh, this is actually a really nice size. I like that. But there are just so many things where using this, you know, again, taking photos or video, having that larger screen, right? Watching YouTube videos, having that larger screen, right. just being able to scroll through, like having more content that you're able to see at the same time. There are a couple of things that were uh, kind of obnoxious to me. The one icon that just the way I had my home screen set up that I could not reach was the camera. And so I killed it and I just used the action button for that instead. So I don't even have the camera icon on, there on there, but I, you know, all of the things that have driven me nuts, which is sort of that reachability, you can just control for when, you know, by where you place things and you know, having widgets at the top. So I don't have to try to reach up there, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's, will I stick with this size? I probably would go back to the 16 Pro if it included really? this camera system. I, pr I probably would because here's the thing. This phone feels 
to me to be the same density and weight as my 14 pro did last year. So I feel like I would be getting the same technology and I would be getting a lighter device next year. Yeah. I would, I would be nervous about battery life because I still, even though I sit for some reason, even though I'm here working from home at a desk, maybe it's because I have the always on display and I'm filming my screen a lot, you know, for YouTube videos where the battery drains with the screen on the bigger battery has, has been helpful. But I will say the lower left corner of the Pro Max size, that I find is the most annoying to get to. <laughs> like if I'm one handing it and I'm trying to like type or hit the uh, plus button to actually like add a photo to a message or just access like the iMessages apps, like that weird, like I have to, you know, balance it with my fingers and pinky and kind of do this like weird claw like grip. That's the only part uh, that I still am not crazy about. You know, there's, I do have a pro tip for you to, to okay, fix okay. that problem for you. Use two hands. Whenever you, you, know, you <laughs> we'll just use your other hand <laughs> because the things that are hard to reach with your left hand will be really easy if you put it into your other hand. So I'm yeah. just, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. There, there's just some situations, you know, you're trying to, you, just you a pro tip in your hands. Just in case. You know? Yeah, that's good. That's good. All right. So you agree. So you agree the, the N3 MacBook Pros take the best for the Apple side. Yeah, I would agree. I and, and just one more anecdote. You had talked about using it in real world. So I'm still using an M3 Max MacBook Pro. Space black is great. Yeah. But uh, I, I had a audio file that um, I ran through Isotope. And I had done the same audio file on an M2 Max MacBook Pro. And it was like 30%. F- I mean, in going right. through this, like this was like an hour long conference session that just right. was clipping and peaking. And, and, and I already knew Isotope would be able to handle it because I had done it before. But I thought, I want to see how much better. And something that took literally like 90 minutes to export was something like 68 minutes. Like that's a real that difference cool. in performance just going from the M2 Max to the M3 Max. And I mean, I honestly have no idea what Isotope is doing, but it's just, it's fixing it. It's, and that's great. It. And it's yeah. really pretty to watch while it's doing it because it's got all these waveform things yeah, and stuff yeah. going on. But all I know is it was so, it was faster, right? And maybe we don't think about things like, well, going from 90 minutes to 70 minutes doesn't seem like that big a deal because you still have to wait for 70 minutes. But imagine if that's a thing you had to do on a regular basis. Right, like that exactly. time starts to really add up. So Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, the, the worst, I guess we can't talk about things Apple didn't release because that would not be a worst release. Although I will mention, we still don't have USB-C peripherals like Magic Keyboard, Magic Mouse. Yep. We did not get an updated AirPods Max. We uh, didn't, you know, actually, I mean, not, not to show too much behind the curtain, but we're kind of recording in the past for this episode. So there could be a press release like in next week, but I don't think there will be. I think we've, I think we're past, I think we're past the, the Rubicon. I don't think new AirPods Max are coming. No, I, don't I think, think they're coming, good. But... AirPods Max is not happening, but no. I would agree though. I, so I actually think you talked about it in the context of things we don't have, but I, so I was in New York city for the scary fast. It was this weird thing right. where they brought people in for briefings because nobody actually like attended an event, right? Which, right. what isn't even an event? It's like, you could get invited to Cupertino to watch the thing on a screen, but it, right. and that's an event. The advantage is having the, the hands-on time afterwards. Right. And in this case, we sort of had hands-on time, although there was very little hands-on time. It was more like, check your fingerprints on the space black time. That's about all the time that we had <laughs> when we were there. They walked us through a demo, but the only question anybody wanted to ask was, because the, the new iMacs were there too. The M3 right. uh, iMacs were there. And all of the peripherals for that still have lightning on them. So right. I, I would argue the worst release that Apple had this year of things they actually released is that the keyboard and the mouse still have lightning ports on them. 
That's that's a good point. I would uh yeah, that's that's pretty good. Did you stay for the like watch party at the New York event by the way? I did not. I flew home. I'm I'm not influencer cool enough to to hang out for those types of things. No. So I, I I came home. I flew in the night before and then flew home that afternoon. So. I so wish you would have stayed just to have you like lurking in the background of all these like influencer <laughs> videos. <laughs> like Andrew Edwards uh, like doing his tour of the whole like it looked like some kind of New York City loft apartment. It was like a multi-story building. Apparently Apple uses this yep. for multiple things uh, throughout the year that in their New York for briefings or whatever, but uh, maybe one day I'll get invited. It was because I'm doing the show with you. We'll see. Uh, well, this was a very cool. weird one, but it was, it was good. It was just like, there wasn't a lot of, at least during the briefings, like hands-on high. But again, the only thing you needed to do hands-on was like, is the fingerprint coding real? <laughs> That's right. right the exactly. anti-fingerprint coding. That's the only thing. There was, that was the only thing. Because otherwise, it's a MacBook Pro. We, we know what these things are. Yeah. I, I will say then, because my worst, I was going to say lack of iPad launches. Because we got, I think for the first year in a long time, zero refreshed iPads. Usually, at least the base model gets at least a spec bump. Or, you know, we could have seen an M2 iPad Air. We saw nothing. There were no new iPads this year at all. But we did get a new Apple Pencil. We got that USB-C Apple Pencil, which is in this, like it's the cheapest one. I think it's like $80. The first gen is still 100 and the second gen is like 130 And so I will put that as my worst, only because it's so confusing right now, at least as we sit here at the beginning of the year. I think it's going to clarify very soon. I think in the next maybe even few months, I know Mark Gurman last year had said March, Apple is actually looking at an iPad launch date. If Apple could finally drop that lightning iPad, I think that will immediately streamline the iPad lineup. We're still going to have the weird like USB-C pencil versus second gen Apple pencil. And maybe we'll even have a third gen and maybe the third gen. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. But I do think at this point, at, or at least the point at the end of the 2023 year, the iPad lineup was confusing enough that it's probably the, the worst product category uh, as a whole. And so I'm going to put that USB-C Apple pencil in there. But did you get to play with it? Did you get one of those USB-C Apple pencils? I did not, but honestly, what would I even do with it? Like, I actually have like, (laughs) it's a a fidget spinner. (laughs) I went to the Apple store to get my M3 Pro MacBook Pro, and I was just, you know, perusing as you do. And I saw the USB-C Apple pencil, and I was like, let me just check this out. And I didn't realize the top of that pencil is actually like spring-loaded kind of, or at least, you know, you can kind of flick it up and then flick it down. It doesn't come all the way off. So it is a very nice like fidget... uh, cap for the USB-C pencil. I was down for that. And it is weird in my mind, no, that they didn't release, but the last real iPad release was October of 2022. And that was when they introduced the new base model, which wasn't really the base model because they kept the old base model, but they put the camera in the right position, but then they didn't put the camera in the right position on the iPad pros that came out at the same time. It's weird. Yeah. The iPad's weird. The iPad's weird. I hope they move that camera, but we'll see. We'll see. All right. So that, that was Apple. We do want to, I want to talk about Google. I want to talk about a little bit AI. Now I'm not obviously as much in the world of Google, although I did get a Pixel 8 for like a week because I wanted to test something, which will be my best. And then you actually have a Pixel device that I'm very excited to hear about. But I will say uh, the best from Google, I watched Google IO. Obviously they said AI, you know, 1000 times. I think Google Bard was a, a big feature for Google this year. And just with the whole AI hype, I would say, which we'll talk about AI more in a little bit. But I do think the magic take feature 
just for, you know, because when Google announces its Pixel devices, I think it struggles to really make a splash. The marketing is everywhere and everyone talks it up and they give it to a bunch of influencers. But I feel like in the end, the Pixel devices are rarely as exciting. But I feel like they had one feature this year that everyone did talk about, which was the best take feature, where if you have a Google Pixel 8 or 8 Pro, you could take a bunch of photos of a scene or a people, a group of photo, you know, a group of people. And then you can, using AI, actually swap faces. So everyone is looking at the camera lens, everyone is smiling. And I actually got a Pixel 8 to test this feature specifically because I was trying to fool it. And uh, the video didn't turn out as well because I couldn't fool it. But I was trying to uh, basically like take a group photo of people, have someone wearing the same clothes. I was using my son and my wife interchangeably and they were wearing a hat. And I was trying to have them look down with the hat, and they both kind of have like the same length hair. <laughs> so it looked very similar overall. And what I was trying to have them do is kind of like look up and look down very quickly as I'm taking a bunch of photos and then swap places quickly uh, and still wearing like the same sweatshirt, the same hat and looking up. And I was trying to see if, if I could make Google best take, ha be able to let me choose either my wife's face on my son's body or vice versa. I was trying really hard to fool it. And I think if I could have done it, maybe that video would have gone viral, but I did not. Google, it was actually pretty good at not letting me do that. It wouldn't let me put a different face on a different body. I don't know how it knew. I don't know if it saw the nose or whatever, but uh, I, was, I was impressed. So I would have to say when it comes to Google, at least for creating a conversation around a product, I think best take or magic, to, you know, it was best take. The best take feature I think was, was really good. So, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, so I was at Google I.O. Certainly, this was the phase of the year when every tech company was trying to find a way to use the phrase AI in every product, every marketing message. And so Google I.O. was basically that. Yes. That's not to say that the things that they talked about weren't cool, but it is just to say it was hard at first to filter through sort of the noise versus signal ratio in terms of what, yes. what is interesting. Because like, I think that we don't really... We don't really look at Google this way, but if you think about what Google does, really everything they do could fit into the category of artificial intelligence, right? They're trying to figure out what it is that you want right. when you type things into a search box and then give you back blue links. True. They're trying to now not give you blue links and just answer questions and do all those sort of things. I think that the um, the Pixel 8 and the, the features that came with it are very interesting, but they're not surprising because Google has always had sort of this very small market from which it's doing really cool things when it comes to the Pixel cameras, right? Right. There by by no means is the Pixel line a runaway success in terms of how many units it's selling. Really, it's Google's way of saying, this is what you can do, right? This is what you can do with Android. Right. This is what you can do with our technology. And so I think the Pixel stuff is great with one exception I'll talk about in just a minute. Um, I think Bard certainly got- It got a few minutes of fame. <laughs> He got a few minutes. I, I, I don't know, that, but I don't know that Google, like the reason was because Google, it's like, how does Google not have an answer, right? To ChatGPT and specifically to Bing. Right. And so I think that Google has been very reserved towards the end of 2023. That started to change with when they released Gemini. And there's some interesting things there. But yeah, I, I think certainly that, that the camera features in general, because they've had the sort of magic eraser feature where you could just right. remove people that shouldn't be there. They're sort of just, this is the natural evolution of, we're just going to give you what we think you want when you push this button, whether it's actually there or not. <laughs> and then Nilay Patel will talk about it for four yeah. Vergecast episodes. Yeah. What, is a, what is a photo? <laughs> what is a photo? I will also say, as I've created more on YouTube as a platform in the past year, that as a Google product from a creative perspective, pretty incredible platform. You know, I think 
YouTube has become like the the one place that's not a streaming service like Netflix. And I, I do want to talk about streaming services, at least just for a minute later. I think YouTube has become just a de facto platform for a for learning. I think for for a younger generations, it is just the source for entertainment outside of TikTok. They've been trying some things. Some things uh, fall short, like different shorts features. Again, sorry, pun intended. Uh, but, you know, as a platform as a whole, from the creator perspective, especially over the last year, it's pretty amazing uh, what they have built, that you can actually have a sustainable business as a video creator on that platform. And so yeah, I do think that's just the best. I don't know, but definitely up there. When it comes to the worst, I've not had as many experiences as, as I want you to hear from you about. But the Pixel tablet, when they announced it at Google I.O., it was like, this is amazing. It comes with a stand. I so want iPad mini to be this. I want my iPad mini to have a little wireless dock where I can put it on there, get standby mode, control my smart home, do it all. And it looked like Google had made something amazing, uh, but also maybe not. Now, you actually have one in your possession. Is that accurate? Yeah, I do still have one. It is a review unit that someone, after listening to this, will ask me. They're going to just nicely send me a label and be like, send it back, buddy. Um <laughs> <laughs> but so here is the thing. I was actually very excited about this because I agree with you. I so would like Apple to build something like this, main, mainly the stand part that you talked about, right. where then the device goes from being a tablet to sort of the countertop smart display. And Google is actually very good at the countertop smart display thing, yeah. right? We have one in our kitchen. It has the Nest camera in it, which is great because it serves as kind of a camera. If I walk up to it in the morning, it's like, hello, Jason, and it'll show me my calendar. If somebody else walks up to it, it can show them their calendar. Does it do that by face? Does it do that by yeah. facial recognition? Yep, it'll that, do it by face, yep. I didn't know uh, that. My wife literally uses it all day to play Spotify throughout the house, right? It's right. great for all those things. And the one that we have, which don't ask me the name, it's some combination of Nest, Hub, Max. That's probably the big Max one. Ultra. Yeah, the big but, one. But yeah, there's probably an Ultra in there, maybe. I don't know, but it's very good. And it, the speaker's actually like really good. I mean, it's somewhere between a HomePod mini and a HomePod, right? Like that's yeah. all, it's a wide range, but I'm just going to say. It's good. Somewhere it's good. in that range. But it's the the beauty of it is when you walk up to it, it does smart home things, right? There's a tab you can pull down to control your devices. There's a, it'll play, you can just tap favorites in your Google Photos, which I just use Google Photos as a backup on my phone, right? It just yeah. automatically sucks them all up there and I know I have a backup. Right. But then I can go into the app and tap the star and those will just automatically cycle through all day long That's cool. if you want to look at your calendar. So it does all those Google things super well. Okay, so I was really excited about the idea that you could have that, but then you could just like pull the screen off, right? Yeah. And you could use it to watch Netflix. You could use it to do whatever you wanted to do. You could do some tablet things. And then I realized that as has been true since the first Android tablet, Android sucks on a tablet. It's just bad, <laughs> right? And I actually asked Google about this. Not the, why does Android suck on a tablet? That's not what I asked them. Verbatim. But I, I explained to them, like, my experience is this is what I'm, how I view this device. And they're like, that's not what this device is. This device is a tablet that has a stand that you can set on your counter. And it does kind of go into sort of smart display mode, except for the some of the things that you can do with the, whatever the name of my device on my kitchen counter is, Nest Hub Max, I think is what it's called, Nest Home Hub Max. Anyway, like the camera you cannot use when it's in smart home display mode. Oh, that's weird. The tablet has a camera, but it does not work. So you can't use it as a Nest security camera, for example. It just, it's not an option. It will not turn right. on when it's in that, in that, unless you're using it for like a Google Meet, but don't use it for a Google Meet, <laughs> right? 
It is the it is also the Nest Hub Max for two hundred and thirty dollars. Thank you, Nest Hub Max. I will stop butchering it. I actually I probably will forget what you just said, but it's all right. Yeah. It's a Max. <laughs> it's a Max. Um, and so I was. I mean, the speak. Let me be clear. The speaker on it is great. Sure. If you want to just pull up YouTube TV and have a small thing, that's great. But all of the things that you think you could do with this display sitting on the counter, you just have to realize no, it's actually a tablet. And it's just in a dock. Mm. And to me, mm. I feel like this product would have been so much more successful if it had been a smart home display. But when I take it off, it becomes a tablet, not the other right. way around, kind of. For sure. And I, and I think Apple could do that. I mean, it has standby mode now. If they tweak it for a larger screen on iPad, could very quickly become that. And this was something, you know, Mark Gurman has been very accurate the last couple of years with a lot of leaks, you know, talking a lot about events and what's going to be launching. I, I think the M3 family lineup of chips was one of his like most accurate leaks. I mean, he basically laid out the entire thing in his newsletter the day before the event. Yep. But he he did actually talk about a device that Apple was working on that was going to be like a HomePod with a screen. I think this might have been over a year ago or about a year ago where he was talking about this device and they just kind of like faded into the background. I it was just we just didn't hear about it anymore. Maybe we'll, that's one of the things we'll see this year at this March event for iPads or maybe at WWDC. But I, I still think there's a huge area for Apple to get that. I mean, I got my iPad mini right here. All you got to do is put a smart connector on the back. There's no smart connector. Put a smart connector right here and then make, you just dock it. Smart home control. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a pretty sweet device. I'm just saying. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I mean, make multiple sizes of them. Do it. Don't, do the, I mean, the iPad Air would be a perfect example of another device that would be a great yes. size for that kind of thing. And I mean, the iPad is already a great interface for controlling smart home things. And, and it, you know, you can already use an iPad. Like, correct me if I'm wrong as your home kit, like it'll use it as a home kit hub, right? You don't really get to choose, but like it will work as that. Yeah. I think, I think Apple is like deprioritized that feature and it is not as like full, uh, capability as it was. I think with like iOS 15 and 16, like there was a toggle and it was like, yeah, use your iPad as a home hub. And I, I feel like there were people that were using it in that way that are not, are not able to anymore. I'll have to look that up. I'm actually curious. Maybe that, that'll be follow-up. That could be follow-up for our actual uh, <laughs> actual episode number one. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, check the other episode because yeah, there's totally. going to be follow-up. Ex- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right, so, so that was Google. I want to get, get through these other ones real quick because I, uh, they're, I think they're interesting. But the best social media network win and loss, and this is, this is such an emotionally charged topic because... <laughs> it's it's okay. There's only one answer. Come on, like this is I know. I, I I was such. I loved Twitter. Okay, I just I just want to say it again. I love Twitter. And when we're recording this episode, which I feel like news can change so fast, I don't even know if it, this will be <laughs> the case when you hear this episode. But I'm still on X. I'm not one of the people that have just you know totally banned it and refused to be on the platform. Like I'm still there. And it, it's it's sad for two reasons. Like one, I do think Twitter as a platform was uniquely positioned as like a real-time news source, being able to interact with like a lot of technology creators in one place. I, I feel like it was a just a, a unique platform for all of that. And I spent time like building my following on that platform. It's not huge, uh, but it's still larger than my Threads account as I record. It's been sad to see that just degrade slowly over time. I mean, as we record right now, advertisers have pulled off the platform like Disney, Apple, and all of that. Elon Musk has literally told them to F themselves. And so it doesn't seem like he has any interest in wooing advertisers back back to the platform. I've been seeing some 
really terrible ads on there uh, recently. And so I, worst, obviously, uh, I think, is the Twitter to X transition and situation immediately contrasted with the best, which I think Threads is, as we record again, winning. I was so like, when Threads first came out and it had like 100 million users in one week, I made a video and I knew it was risky because I was like, this very well could change overnight. If, if Twitter gets its act together, like, this might no longer be viable. But I basically said in that video, right after Threads launched over the summer, Twitter is dead. Like Threads is the place to be. And immediately after I published that video, there were so many comments of like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, blah, blah, blah. This is all just whatever. And like, as time has gone on, that video has slowly proved to be more and more true. And Threads is, is iterated quickly. I think Masseri, who's Instagram and is now kind of the spokesperson for Threads and what Meta has done, maybe not great, maybe not crazy about everything Meta does as a company, but I think they are positioning Threads extremely well adding features quickly that users are wanting. And it has, I think, slowly taken the place of X for many, many people. And I think has the potential to fully take that market for social networks that are a microblogging platform, whatever you want to call it, uh, into 2024. So I would agree with your assessment. Uh, X is not great. A lot of reasons. But even if you took out the the, the things that you don't like about Elon Musk, for example, sure. just the yeah. overall experience is just it's just not great no. on X anymore. And I agree. I, I really liked Twitter, especially for what it was. And it, I can draw direct lines between times where Twitter helped me in my career, helped me in different yeah. like, ways to, to... We met on Twitter. That's true. Like me and you. That's actually true. You're Twitter. right. That's yeah. a, you're absolutely right. And so that to me is sort of yeah. sad in a lot of ways. Um, I still have an X account. I still look at things occasionally. But it just is weird, especially as Threads has become a lot more useful. Now, my audience right. on Threads is very small. That's fine. I'm not super worried about it at this point. But, you know, the test for me is when, you know, there's a shared experience going on and you just post something without context. Do people know what you're talking about? And, it, right, like, are people watching? Like, there was a time when it was, like, on Thanksgiving, the Lions, who have been doing very well this year, just decided to blow it. And my, you know, my response was, well, now it feels like Thanksgiving. And people knew what I meant on threads, right. where on Twitter, that would have been an instant, like, you, you know, it would have been in the trending topics for the Lions, right. because right. everyone would have known what that meant. So I feel like it's better. And the other thing that's super, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but I did not expect is the For You feed on threads is actually pretty good at this point it, it's it's good it's hit and miss sometimes sometimes i get you know some posts in there and i'm like this seems almost like a tiktok type algorithm like trying to get me to engage with this so it, it knows <laughs> to serve me this more in the future but but i will say like i do see posts from people that i end up following in my for you page sometimes it's like someone who works at apple like a developer or apple product design sometimes it's just another youtube creator that I do end up following or tech journalists that I didn't know was on uh, threads yet, but there they are. And so I, I do give them credit that for you is getting better. And I do more often, I'd be curious your habit on that. I do stay in the for you tab pretty often. I don't typically take the time to swipe over to go to my following feed because I feel like I see the people I follow in my for you page. What do you, how do you do that? I think that's true. The, and now mostly when I'm switching to the following feed, it's because I care more about recency. 
right? Like, is there a thing that right. people might be commenting on that I want to see some sense of chronological order to, right? right? Because it is weird. Like I'm looking right now at my For You feed and it's like, oh, the first post is a minute ago. Well, that makes sense. The second post was three hours ago. The third post was 11 minutes ago. The fourth post was three days ago. <laughs> so if what you, but they're, they're yeah. all relevant. Like they're, I'm glad they're all there. That's great. In fact, there, there are people who I see pretty regularly in the For You feed that I just thought I was following and I'm not, but they keep right, showing right. up, which means they're doing something like they clearly know who I would like to see content from. Right. Yeah. There's some garbage still, but that's just the way that it is. Yeah. And so I, I would agree. And I think the, the live event still has to be proven like yeah. during the scary fast event. And I think during the iPhone event, I kind of double posted. I find Mastodon starts giving me errors quickly if I if I send too many posts with images. And so I don't typically try to live post on Mastodon. I might do one or two during an Apple event. But on Twitter and threads, I was still kind of trying to post on both in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I saw threads like doing slightly better at it than it did at WWDC or it wasn't even out at WWDC. I feel like wait, I can't remember. There's been well there's there's just been other like events where I feel like threads totally missed it on live event posting. I think it's gotten better, but I still think it has a ways to go. Like I remember watching Apple events, having Twitter open, and it was just so spot on. Like every time I refreshed that feed or just kept it as live refreshing, that it was everybody posting about the Apple event right away, even in like the algorithmic uh, view of the Twitter timeline. Like it was just very good at that. Yeah. So I think threads needs to get a little better at it because then like it can be the live posting platform that everyone just gathers during Apple events or Google yep. I.O., and talks about it there. It just needs to get yeah. a little better. I agree. I think the addition of the hashtags, which are still kind of weird on threads, but that's going to help some of that. <laughs> that is weird. But the truth is like Twitter just had a lot more infrastructure built around it. And when I say infrastructure, I don't mean it's right. like tech stack. I just mean third-party tools, which many, they don't exist anymore. But like you could just yeah. create a thread of an ongoing event so much more easily in Twitter than you could in threads. That's getting better. There's still a little bit more friction around doing that in threads, but the real key is, is the audience there? And the answer is increasingly yes. So it makes it worth it. Increasingly, yes, for sure. And just one other uh, moment of silence for a Twitter feature. This is actually multi years past. I still feel like Twitter moments was one of the best features for a news centric social platform. And I use Twitter moments all the time, not to create moments, although they, they opened that up like briefly before they shuttered the feature completely. But Twitter moments, I would often go to whenever there was a major world event or political news. And somehow, I don't know if it was individually curated or algorithmic, but Twitter moments were just, I think, a great presentation of like, here's an event that is happening. And like, you can look at photos and videos and tweets from like, geopolitical leaders and like just see what's happening yep. and it was just i think one of the best features for that kind of news consumption that i have not seen duplicated anywhere yeah i don't know i was just a big a big moments fan yeah i agree and uh and I, we have one more bullet here too the fediverse i do think i want to keep my eye on, it, eye on it in 2024 threads announced at the end of 2023 that they are testing activity pub integration with threads which if they fully open that up for everyone could mean that you could basically use a Mastodon client like Ivory made by Tapbots and see your threads and threads users who maybe only be in threads could still follow you because they actually talk through that open protocol activity pub. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see that. 
it would be amazing if social like I feel, it feels very fractured right now. I don't know if you feel this. I just feel like you know I have some people that follow me on still on X decreasingly, but still there that aren't on Threads. And while Threads is growing, like it just feels very fractured right now. And I would love for something like Activity Pub pie in the sky like bring these platforms more together and you could feel like you post one thing and anyone who follows you who wants to see it will see it that's the dream i think yeah i think that's true and i i had just added that bullet point because i thought it was notable that meta has done the thing they said they or they've started to do the thing that they had promised and everyone was like really will they really do that and they did they made it and at this point as of the time that we're recording this at the end of 2023, the only thing you can do is essentially see posts from a couple of meta people that where they post on threads. You can see them now on Mastodon. You can't even, I don't think reply or like, or any of those things. You can just see the content, but it is the first step, which is good. Right? Like, and so I think you're right. I think that the six, I think there are, we all talk about wanting things to be open. That's great because there are a lot of benefits to that. But what really people want is just something that's simple where all their friends are. And I do think that if threads were to fully integrate with ActivityPub, which means that you would be able to fully federate those that content, that, that's that's sort of the best of both worlds because it is open and you can use any of the things that you like, whether that's Mastodon or, or whatever. And yet you don't have to figure out what you just talked about, which is where do I go to find whoever, right? Yeah. And so you can yeah, have exactly. all your sort of content in one place, so. Exactly. All right. AI news. This is not an AI podcast. I just want to say that right here. Uh, we're not AI boys. I don't think. <laughs> we are We are human. This is real. We're human beings. This is not AI generated content. I will say best worst AI of the year. I have to give ChatGPT the best because I honestly do use ChatGPT every single day. It is something that has become a part of my workflow both for video production and podcast production. And I just, it just found, I've found use cases in many places and it is really great at what it does. And there's an app on the iPhone and iPad that has a shortcuts action that I use pretty much every day. Plus earlier uh, this year, Federico Vitici had his shortcut SGPT, which I still use in some use cases. For however you feel about AI as a tool I find ChatGPT now indispensable in several workflows. I'm curious, you you as a writer first, have you used, I mean, do you use ChatGPT kind of on a regular basis now? Yeah, I mean, I use it to write all my art. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 I was going <laughs> to say, I wanted to specify. I know, you do, I know you don't use it to write your articles, but for- I do know. not use it to write articles. Uh, I want my editor to hear that very loud and clear. <laughs> Although exactly. I'm not going to lie that there are times, well, actually one thing that it's really good at is coming up with headlines. Uh, right. um, it's actually got, it's pretty good at like, hey, here's my thing I'm going to write about. Here's the headline. Can you give me a, like a stronger headline? And it will, the thing that it does that makes it good for that use case is actually a thing that drives me nuts in other use cases. Cause like my daughter will have a, a, a algebra question and I'm like, just, I don't need ChatGPT to explain me how it's done. Just tell me the answer. I don't. I don't care right. about the conversion rate. I don't care about. But in this case, it's actually good. It'll be like use this. It's stronger here. Do this. Like so, I do use that. I you know we talked about this is the AI news section. But for most people, this is like the only news that happened all year. For like AI was just everywhere, right? ChatGPT right. was everywhere. It's like the fastest growing product tech platform ever right in the fall they introduced that you know they rolled out that you can build your own gpts like they're they're gonna have a store like all of this stuff like they're they're forcing you know well microsoft is all in with chat gpt wasn't it 
Microsoft CEO that said that he wanted Google to dance and he wanted to, to know that it was because of what they did. Like, so Google yes. had to respond to this. Yeah, so like, yeah, this yeah. is the only news that most people have been thinking about over the course of the entire year. Right. And I think it's easy to forget that it all started really with ChatGPT, right? Like, because before yeah, ChatGPT, yeah. there was Dolly and there was the, the image stuff, but that did not, that's not the same because it's not an yeah. interactive thing. You just, make me a thing and it makes you a thing and you're like yeah that thing sucks so make me a different thing and we'll keep trying <laughs> but this is like i can have a conversation with this thing right and sometimes it'll go off the rails well, yeah but it just gets really interesting so yeah i do use it sometimes chat gpt is useful especially when you want to have it summarize something so uh yes. notion right and i can clip a bunch of research and then i can say hey tell me what what are the main facts from this article? Now, it doesn't mean that I'm going to completely depend on it, but the thing that these LLMs are really good at in terms of generating content is when you give it a specific set of data, right? Right. It's not wandering off on the internet and getting lost in the wilderness and coming back with something that's just completely made up. It's giving you information based on what you told it. To me, that's the most useful case. And I think that's where we're going to see the most interesting changes over the next year too. 100%. Yes. And and summarizing is one of those key use cases I use all the time. And I think worst AI news, or I think kind of the the biggest fumble was that moment when Sam Altman was ousted as the CEO of OpenAI by the board. And I have to say, like, I'm not usually one to just be like, constantly looking for the latest news on a given topic, unless it's Apple. But that saga, I was just so engrossed because I was like, this is the wildest story. Just, just from a narrative or drama standpoint, this fastest growing tech product being ChatGPT, the CEO founder being the face of this company, OpenAI, just having presented on stage about all the app stores and building your own GPTs, and then all of a sudden is ousted just suddenly. And then the, the drama that unfolded over the next several days, Satya Nadella, basically like Microsoft CEO, which I, I don't know if you're a, a Machiavelli, Machiavelli a, a reader, but I read The Prince by Machiavelli one time just because I wanted to. And Machiavelli was- Just because. <laughs> just because. I, I would Nothing get, else to do. I have three children and a job, but I just sat down to read some- It's shorter than you think. But I, but yeah. I would hear people reference like a Machiavellian thing. And I wanted to know like what that came from, like what that meant. And what Satya Nadella did during that moment was 100% a Machiavelli move, which is to say- oh, this board ousted Sam Altman as the OpenAI CEO. We will hire him and any other uh, like OpenAI employees that want to come. And just in, just in that, in having said it, even though it didn't actually turn out that that's what happened, it was the ultimate move for Satya Nadella to say, A, as Microsoft, as a company, we so heartily believe in AI that we're going to invest millions of dollars just in personnel. Like we will hire right. 700 people from this company and their CEO to run an AI division inside Microsoft. That sends a huge message. And then two, to say like, to signal Sam Altman and all these people like, listen, you have a backup plan <laughs> if it doesn't work out. And Microsoft still gets to benefit from OpenAI and all the research they're doing because they're a huge investor in the company. And if they ever, if Sam Altman and all those employees choose to leave, Microsoft will still benefit because they know that they can hire all those people. And Sam Altman considered it for a moment. And probably all those employees at OpenAI did as well. Like he was Machiavelli in that moment. And Satya Nadella, like for the being the worst moment in AI for the year, he won that moment in being the worst. Like Satya Nadella, I think, made the best moves as just a CEO of a company. I was really impressed. It was exciting. 
Yeah, well, and it's worth mentioning, like, in case somebody wasn't paying attention, which is actually possible because this was the weekend before Thanksgiving, right? right? It was like, and I remember when the New York, I, a New York Times push alert showed up, and I'm like, some intern's getting fired for pushing that out. That we that can't possibly right. be true. That Sam Altman. It's like when if you would have pre-announced that the Queen had died. Oh, whoops, sorry, right. we had written the obituary, and somebody accidentally sent you the notification. It's like right. this. There's something going on here, but then it pops up everywhere, and it's like, and then he. Like they're post, it's like it happened on social media. All of this stuff is just being posted about. It's the most bizarre thing ever. And I think, yeah, I agree with you that Sachin Adela handled it, but he didn't have a choice. It's important right. to understand how much Microsoft has put into their relationship with OpenAI. I was at the Microsoft right. event, which was supposed to be a Surface event in, I think, September. They were supposed to be like debuting new Surface events or products, but all they talked about the entire time was these co-pilots, right? They now, that's what they call their AI assistants right. is co-pilots. And they have right. co-pilots in Windows and they have the co-pilots in Excel and they have them in, in, in Bing and, and co-pilot is their thing now. So he had done that and then he had appeared on stage at OpenAI's developer conference and then this happened. <laughs> And all of his investors are like, dude, you made a promise. What's going on? And so he had to right. come up with a solution. And the fact that he did it, like, I don't know whether there was ever actually a plan to hire all those people. I, I think he would have made good on his word if it had come to that. But I think he was like, guys, can we just can we just put this genie back in this bottle for a little while, please? Because, <laughs> man, I mean, yeah. it is a pretty big power move for the CEO of a publicly traded company to just be like, I have a blank checkbook. Anybody need a job? <laughs> Is, which and you see oh microsoft he's in a unique position to be able to do that like him tim cook yes exactly there's like four people in the world who could get away with doing that and he's right yeah. exactly yeah i've also not used any like i think i tried bing ai once and i was like me <laughs> and that was about it yeah i mean the copilot thing is cool like the idea of it is very cool the demos are very cool where it's like i have a spreadsheet and i want my copilot to tell me you know of all the locations that are available for me to visit can you make me a route and then can you tell me who do i know in my contacts who lives near there who might want to join me and then can you like all that kind of stuff is great like i think that's the ideal scenario for it but at the same time like it's going to be a while before that becomes a thing that people are actually doing right but it still kind of blows my mind how much changed over the course of four days and then just went back to like the way it was. It was, it was, it was bizarre. All right. Big tech merger, uh, wins and losses. Maybe, uh, you could drive the section because I, I did not yeah. follow this as much. Although the Adobe Figma thing I knew, I knew was a big deal, but, but you tell me, what, what are your thoughts here? This was a year where, Overall, reg regulators have been sort of cracking down on big tech companies. This is still happening at this point, but it was in, I think it was notable that Microsoft was able to push its enormous acquisition of Activision Blizzard through, right? That was a big right. deal and it was challenged everywhere. And in fact, it was re rejected in, was it the UK? But it, but they were they were given essentially tentative approval in the U.S. Eventually they got it through. They closed the thing. In fact, I think that Bobby Kotick announced that he he was leaving at the end of last year as he didn't want to be a Microsoft employee. That was probably part of the deal all along. But that took a very long time. But Microsoft was able to get it through. On the other hand, Adobe was trying to buy Figma for right. was it twenty billion dollars, a bunch of money, and they basically just towards the couple a week before christmas they're like, yeah we're done we can't this isn't gonna happen we're yeah, just weird. we give up the regulators are trying to push too much and that's actually probably better because most people who use figma use figma because the tools that adobe created mainly xd suck and so they'd rather use figma and they're they would prefer that it not be a subsidiary of adobe so i just thought it was really interesting kind of that 
dichotomy of somehow, you know, Microsoft was able to get this huge thing through Adobe and Figma basically just gave up. Right. And, right. and, and regulators are starting to, especially the European union are starting to really put their thumb down and say, you know, I, we know all you companies are based there in the United States, but we, we have something we'd like to say. And you have, if you want, I mean, we got a lot of people over here. So if you want to do business, you're going to have to listen. So right. yeah, that's all. Uh, doesn't also Adobe still have to pay something to Figma, like millions of dollars because this didn't go through? So it's actually a billion dollars. And that's a, a pretty dollars. standard thing. They have a breakup fee. Wow. And that's essentially because if you think about it, if you are a company that's going to be it's actually really interesting that in the press release or the blog post i think from figma they talked about it as a merger but every, i mean you were getting bought it was not it's not a murder you, you were getting bought by adobe <laughs> get which bought. quietly is a very huge like enterprise level company right so um right. but the reason is if you're a company like figma and you get tied up in this there's a real real cost to you and there's a lot of uncertainty involved and it can have negative effect, effects on your business and if it doesn't work like what they usually won't enter into something like that without an agreement that if, if this doesn't work out, we're getting paid something. And so, yeah, right. Adobe has to write them a check for a billion dollars, which is still less than a check for $20 billion, I guess. All right. I want to talk about streaming and then uh, we can touch or end maybe on iOS. Uh, and then we're going to, we actually have some bonus content that we're going to record, which if you didn't know, yeah. we're going to have bonus content every week as we record our main episode. Then we're going to have a bonus topic, which will tell you what the topic is, of course. And then, uh, yeah, you can support the show directly on Apple Podcasts and another platform, which we haven't even really decided yet. I mean, at the time that you're listening to this, it will be decided and there'll be a link in the show notes. <laughs> so you can check it. Just, <laughs> just go out there and find us a place and just support us. Just find put it in a box that says Steven and Jason on it that just drops right. some money. That's right. Exactly. That's how it works. I want to talk about streaming real quick because this was, I actually, I, I wrote an ebook like, I think it was seven or eight years ago. And the ebook was Stop Paying for Cable. And it was in the early days of streaming services where you could genuinely save a bunch of money and only pay for like Hulu, again, back in the day. And I think maybe Netflix. Those were like the two kind of major streaming platforms at the time. Oh, the days when there was only Hulu and Netflix. Huh. Yeah, I know. Those were the good days. And yeah, that was it. And then like, I was basically saying like, you pay $20 for these two services because they were each like $10, $8. And you can get 90% of the content you already watch on these two platforms. And it's just the dream. You can cut the cord and never pay for cable TV again. That was like seven or eight years ago. And now at least at the end of 2023, it is such a debacle when it comes to streaming services, especially the big ones. And I, I think for the worst of the year, I know there was the, was it the Max Discovery, mer was it a merger yeah. or a... Uh... I mean, yes, it was a merger. And then at the end of 2023, we're, there was now the story that maybe there'll be an additional merger with Max, which is HBO and Paramount Plus, they might become one gargantuan streaming service, which I don't know how that would be better. But anyway, all of that, I get Max for free with AT&T somehow. I don't know how long that's going to last. Because AT&T used to own Warner Because he used to own. Right. Yes. I don't know how long that deal is going to withstand uh, from my AT&T account. But I went to Max, and I know they have a few shows that you know everybody enjoys. I typically do not find a lot of stuff to watch there. Disney Plus and its many Marvel original series this year. I think fell short. I did enjoy Loki season two, but I think that was about it. And then Netflix, which I, maybe two price hikes in one year, or maybe it was just one big one. But I know right now to pray for premium, it's like $23 for 4k. And all of that to say now, as we stand at the beginning of 2024, streaming is no longer cheaper than 
cable, I don't think, if you want to get all your things. And if if you're a live sports watcher, like, forget it. <laughs> like, you're going to be paying for MLB TV, NBA TV, all the services. In general, I think streaming as a whole is like the worst. <laughs> like, the best and worst in streaming. Yes. Everything is the worst. And I will give best, I think, actually, not because I'm partial, but maybe, but Apple TV Plus, I do find in the last year has given some great content. It did increase its price, but it's still cheaper than every other service, I think, unless you do ad-supported uh, whatever. Although Apple TV has started doing like the promos for other Apple TV shows at the beginning, and it's getting a little annoying. Sometimes it's like two promos, like Apple, uh, come on. I know everybody else does it. You weren't doing this at first. Don't do it now. <laughs> Just stop it. Yep. But Lessons in Chemistry with Brie Larson, I've really enjoyed watching that. For All Mankind, I think it's still one of the best Apple TV Plus original shows. Been watching that. Uh, they have the big movies like Killers of the Flower Moon and the Napoleon movie, which I haven't seen yet, but I'd heard you know positive things about it. As a streaming service, I think Apple TV Plus is winning. Uh, maybe not as big as Netflix, obviously yet, but I think its content is there and like it's building a library of shows that uh, they can be proud of. So I don't know. How do you feel about streaming? How many do how many do you pay for? Oh <laughs> man. So we we well, we get Apple TV, right? Because Apple One Plus with yeah. with Apple One, yeah. yep. Yeah. And and it's pretty good. I probably would. I don't. Maybe we would pay for it. Well, we paid for it because of Ted Ted Lasso. That was like the only, that was all we needed. Right, no, Ted right, Lasso's right. over. So, but the, but we don't pay for Netflix anymore. We canceled that. I can't remember when. It was either early in 2023 or late 2022. It was just like, yeah. how, when's the last time we opened this app? And it's like, man, that's not worth <laughs> that much money. The right? Crown is the only reason I still pay for Netflix because we haven't finished the series yet the only reason yeah i just every time i scroll like i recently netflix released their most watched list which is a thing netflix has never done like they released this list i wrote about right. it because they had released a list of like the cumulative hours for from like january through june of their top shows and i looked and there was not a single show with more than like 500 million hours watched that i had ever heard of before <laughs> so i'm like i guess i'm not really missing i mean i think the last show i religiously watched on netflix was uh was it ozarks like or yeah, was like was the Jason movie. Bateman show or whatever. So like yes. that was the last thing I really cared about that was on Netflix and it's over now. And I actually refused to watch the ending because I didn't like who they killed off. And so I was like, well, if I don't watch it, it didn't happen. But I <laughs> just the, just, I wanted to give a tiny bit of context to what you said at first. Yeah, the yeah, news yeah. at the end of 2023 is that Warner brothers discovery, which is a company that was formed when discovery basically bought the spun off Warner Brothers, which was at the time owned by AT&T, they merged into a com com one company. They're, they tried to merge their apps, but then they realized that none of the people who pay for HGTV to watch into the Discovery Plus app want to pay for HBO, right? So they still actually have two apps. <laughs> and somehow with $45 billion worth of debt, it would be a good idea to buy Paramount, which is like... <laughs> The studio, it's a movie studio, plus they own like CBS and that kind of thing. And so it's like, right. I just, the only thought I had was like, buying more things won't make you happy, man. Like, I, <laughs> why would you it's, do this? But then there's like the idea that maybe what they're really trying to do is to get NBC Universal into the mix, which is owned by Comcast, because they would be a much better, like, if they were to merge with Warner Brothers mm. Discovery. But it's kind of like, and the whole reason they're doing all of it is because they're trying to compete with Disney Plus. Right. Because I would agree with you that Apple TV Plus is probably a better value 
for people, but it's hard to argue with Disney Plus, right? Oh, like it sure. has the goal. I mean, maybe the Marvel stuff, like we watched the Marvels. Like my, my kids loved it, by the way. Like I, I, I read all the bad reviews. My kids were like, this is entertaining as heck. Like, can we go see it again? Right. So like that kind of thing is great. But there's there's Star Wars, there's the Marvels, there's Pixar, and then there's all the other Disney things. Like people are going to yeah. just keep paying for Disney Plus. So if you're anybody else besides Netflix and Disney Plus, you have to figure out what the heck am I going to do? And so I would argue Disney Plus is still the winner because mm. they're forcing yeah. <laughs> David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, to like try to find someone else to merge with because I, I don't know. <laughs> that, and that is true. And I feel like, especially if you have kids or if you're just a big Disney Pixar fan, like Disney Plus is, it's just default. Like it's default. You're going to pay for it. And even though I think a lot of the originals weren't great this past year, well, I'm also still skeptical about this coming year. I don't know if Disney Plus is, or Disney as a whole, when it comes to Marvel specifically and some of the Star Wars like series, I am skeptical uh, how, how good those are going to be. But I'll still watch them. I'll still give them a try uh, for sure. Yep. That was good. Thank you for that merger content. <laughs> it's so confusing, honestly. And like, I, I just, I think it's hilarious to kind of hear about it, but also what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it just reminds me of someone who keeps buying more things because they think it will fill a hole in their heart that is right. not meant to be filled by streaming services. And I don't think like that would mean better content either. Like I don't uh, No. Yeah, I mean Paramount's top property is Star Trek. That's fine. And then Picard, there's HBO, yeah. but like right. other than that, a lot of the stuff that's on you can't even go to HBO's well, it's called Max now, I guess, but you can't even yeah, go to that and watch all of the stuff you would think that came from Warner Brothers, right? right? Because they licensed that stuff to other places. Well, and that was another interesting thing at the end of 2023. When I would open the Netflix app just to see what was there, I started seeing more and more movies that were on Max. I think there might even be some DC properties that I see on Netflix now. And it's like, okay, yep, they're licensing again because it's money in their pocket. <laughs> yep, They're going to just license their content where... People are watching. And that's how, honestly, the streaming services were at first. And it was a better experience for viewers because you could go on Netflix and you just see a bunch of like first run movies and the popular stuff was on Netflix. All the TV shows you might want to watch, whether it was The Office or The Good Place, like it was just all there. Yep. And if it's if it's going to make more money for the places that actually make the content, like let's, can we go back to that? Right. Like let's go back to just, just one, one place. I don't know if it's better or not for, you know, like NBC, Paramount or whatever, but it was better for viewers for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's better because you, there's just not enough dollars to support all of these niche services, right? These studios right. that have them, like just go by, just go be a studio and then sell your stuff right. to Netflix. I'd pay for Netflix again if all the stuff was there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Same. All right. Let's round out best and worst coming back to Apple with the best and worst iOS feature of the year. We had iOS 17 and all the other software updates. And they were asking big updates in the 17.2. I feel like it was a really big release. Lots of things. I have thoughts on my best, but but tell me about yours because you have a whole article about this. So what is your best of iOS 17? Well, and again, this was when it came out. So there have been a couple of things. Yeah. So for example, I think the device protection that just came out, which is actually yes. only in beta, I'm not even going to, I can't really address that because they, what, that article didn't address it. But I think that the interactive widgets was the thing that I was like, why does this not exist? And very thankful that finally Apple yeah. did that. So basically, if you have a widget on your home screen, it used to be that if you just tap the widget, all it did was open the app, which is dumb because if my widget is things, I just want to tap off whatever the thing was, right? right? Or reminders or whatever. I don't need it to do to like open the app. So to me, that was the 
feature of iOS 17 that I use all the time and that I'm very glad is there. I, I mean, standby is great. I will say I use that every night, but it does a weird thing for me where I'm, I must be swiping it as I pick it up or something because every time I put it down, yes. it's a different face. And I'm like, I thought I, I was supposed to remember. The, the same thing happens to me and only like I've, I've been using it since it came out. And only a couple nights ago did I realize as I went to pick up my phone that I was swiping the nightstand screen, but nightstand disappears so quickly by the time you actually are holding the phone yeah. that you can't really see what was on nightstand. And so it was just that split second. I was like, oh, I'm the, I'm the problem. It's me. Taylor Swift <laughs> yeah. had it right. Yeah. And I was like, I'm the one swiping my nightstand screen. For that reason, I'm not going to say interactive widgets is my best, but I do enjoy that things and reminders. I like checking them off in the widget. Fantastic Hal having an interactive widget. It's one of the best interactive widgets out there. I do wish interactive widgets would update a little more frequently. I actually have, a, and this is a lock screen widget more so, but I have Fantastic Hal on my lock screen. And they have this cool thing of like how long until the next event. Yep. And it'll say like one and a half hours or two hours. But many times it's like way off because the widget has not updated. And I haven't always on display phone and I might not have touched my phone for a while, but I'll look down and it'll be like, three hours away, like this event is in 30 minutes. And so like, there's a, a little bit of weirdness when it comes to updating some of that stuff. And, yep. uh, you know, apps can only do what iOS allows them to do. Yep. But I do, it would be nice, you know, more frequent updates. But my best, A, I feel like standby is hyped. Stand, standby was hyped so much by I think all the creators and influencers. Uh, it's cool. I don't think it's the best. Name drop is cool. I don't think that's the best. And it, I don't, it needs way more custom customization like to be able to choose like contact card information, like as defaults, like that's not in the name drop interface. Like it needs a settings pane, like name drop needs a settings pane and standby. Like I want to be able to edit my standby screen, not on a charger because it's so often like it's awkward to try and manage that. But anyway, I actually feel like journal is my favorite feature of iOS 17, which came out with 17.2. I was not a former journaler, journal writer. <laughs> And many longtime journal writers are like, this app is, doesn't have as many features. It's not anything like day one. Totally get it. If you're an experienced or longtime journal writer, maybe the Apple journal app is not for you. But for someone like me who did not journal before and wanted to develop the habit, I find the journal app to be the perfect tool for that use case specifically. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have to write a page of text. I get prompts and I can include the photos, locations, contacts, conversations I've had with people on FaceTime. It's been a great tool. And uh, as I was looking forward to it even before iOS 17 was announced because uh, Wes Hilliard and I had talked about it months prior. And uh, it has been my favorite app of iOS 17 and, and I really enjoy it. That's, that's my best. Okay, can I say my worst real quick? Because it's super easy. Yeah, please. I just, yeah. I'm going in the spirit of worst in the sense of things they didn't do. I just don't understand why screen time is still so terrible. And the worst thing about screen time is the fact that it's now in messages, which I think is actually an iOS 16 feature. Yes, it was a 16. But there's change. no way to turn it off. And my wife and I have a shared text conversation with our daughter that is like two lines and then just gibberish, 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 and then two lines and then just gibberish, gibberish, gibberish. And then every once in a while, there's so many of those things in there because like that's the entire text history that the entire yes. messages app just like quits. It's like, I don't understand who thought that was a good idea. Apple, they should be fired and at least give me the option to turn it off in messages because you know what worked really well? The push notification from the screen time settings in the app, it was fine. Like fine. you have to fix this. You don't, if you don't want to take it out fine, but just someone make it so that I don't have to deal with this anymore, please. I 
100% agree that screen time is still bad. The The message has changed. And like, I'll just show. So this is yeah. the conversation uh, that is with me, my wife, and one of my kids. And it's just like all these requests that live in here. And like, that's all that's there. But also pre-iOS 16, before these requests moved into messages, I would 100% of the time get the notification on my watch, tap approve for 15 minutes if they were asking for more time, approve for an hour, hour, whatever. And that mechanism was solid. Yeah. I, that approval request would go through. My kids would get more time on whatever app. And I never had to pick up my phone. And since it's moved to messages, <coughs> it works 5% of the time from that notification. Even on my iPhone, if the notification comes up and I long press it from like the lock screen and I hit approve for 15 minutes, most of the time it does not go through. Yeah. Most of the time it just does not register. They have to send the request multiple times. They'll send a text message directly to me and they'll be like, yeah, it didn't go through. And it is just like a routine thing. And so, you know, I think this is, if you have minors that you are managing in screen time, this is really the, who is feeling this as a feature like issue but it is definitely an issue. Like screen time is rough and also pulling the data. Like if I want to go in and see the screen time data for one of my kids and go back several days and maybe see what they did a few days ago, that is also super buggy. Like it takes a long time to update. Like if I'm like, yep, it just doesn't, nothing updates for a long time. And then to go back a day, like you kind of have to go down a little bit and then tap the back arrow. And many times when I would do this, it would like jump back to the current day. Like it was super buggy for a long time. That I think is fixed in the latest iOS, but overall screen time needs to be rethought or at least just go back, <laughs> go back to those yeah. notifications, have it live in settings like that. It would be fine. Like just do that. It, it's been pretty rough. Yeah. If you would just give me an option to remove it from messages and also make it so that randomly all of the screen time settings that I've set up for one of our daughters doesn't just disappear. Like literally, right, it just there'll be a morning and it's like, how are you doing that on your phone right now? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, and I'll look into screen time and it's like, no app limits, no downtime. It's all gone. And I'm just like, okay. oh my goodness. So anyway, yeah, that's screen, screen time. And so here's, I know they can fix it. And the reason I know, and sorry, this I'll be real super quick is because right. they have similar features for mobile device management for, for companies, right? But they're right. completely different tech stacks. I've even asked them right. about this because I said, on a, in a briefing about the small business stuff, right. how can a manager be confident that they could set up these things? And they're like, oh yeah, we, we know screen time sucks. So we don't use, they didn't say that. Apple did not say that part of it. They're like, they but we don't, it's a completely that. different tech stack. That's not a quote. I couldn't give right. you a quote even because they don't let you give anyway. But I'm just like, you could figure this out because you have figured it out for this other thing. So just make right. it so that, because I would imagine that parents who have iPhones who also have children who have iPhones is a fairly large market and it's a fairly large future market for Apple to keep those people wanting to use iPhones. You're so worried about messages. Well, then you better make it so that messages doesn't suck because I can't even have a conversation with my wife and my daughter in the same text message thread because it's just a bunch of like requests for Roblox. Yes, it is, it is very true. All right. All right. Well, let's round up the show before we get to our bonus content. I didn't put this in the list. This is, this is a, I'm throwing this on you. Okay. What then are we most excited for? for 2024, I feel like Apple Vision Pro is going to be the easy answer. You've actually tried it, so maybe, yeah. so maybe you can actually speak to it. But for me, I'm excited to see what iPads come out this year. I do think, you know, there's rumors are OLED screens, maybe even a larger iPad Air, uh, redesign possible with a redesigned Magic Keyboard. I'm very excited for the iPad story this year. Hard to be excited for Apple Vision Pro personally because I haven't tried it. 
but that is also like very excited for that. I also have a AI pin from Humane coming or supposedly coming. I am not as excited about that, but I'm still excited to try it because it's a new piece of tech. And so I'm excited to set that money on fire. That's good. And I already did. You like you have to pay for it up front. It's not even a thing where they charge you when it ships. Like they charged you immediately on that pre-order. Immediately. It's like a Kickstarter that's gonna go out of business and never deliver anything. I am very that's concerned good. that that product is not gonna ship. Like I do have a legitimate yeah. concern it's not gonna ship. I, I'm hoping they'll still refund the money because I, I, I bought the white one, which was like a hundred dollars more for no reason. But anyway. Anyway. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to try it. What are you excited for this year, Casey? Uh, in 2024. I this sounds like super boring. I mean, the iPad story. I agree with you. I I. I love my 11 inch iPad pro that I use every day. I have an iPad mini that I love. Um, so I'm excited about that. And if they put the camera in the right spot, I will be like a hundred percent on board with buying an M3 iPad pro 11 inch with the camera yeah. in the right spot. So that would be great. But I'm actually really excited about like an M3 MacBook air, right? I actually really mm. love the MacBook air. It's my favorite computer because I travel quite a bit. And as wonderful as this MacBook Pro has been, I will get rid of it in a heartbeat when I can use an M3 MacBook Air because I don't need, like the isotope thing I did, I don't really need to do. That's like the second time in five years I've needed that much power for a computer. I'll just right. send the file to Steven and let him do it on his Mac Studio or something. I do have, I have isotope, I could do it. So I just feel like, you know, that I'm, I'm interested in the rest of the things. The, the Vision Pro, though, is by far the thing that people who are not nerds asking about on a regular basis. Hey, right. oh, what do right. you think about this Vision Pro? That guy, So I feel like that is a thing people are genuinely interested in. Like, hey, this thing right. seems cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually interested in being able to use it, not in a very, very, very controlled demo. So there you go. Do you Because you actually used it, do you think, I know you need to spend more time with it, do you feel like there might actually be a, a work use, like you might actually have that headset on and actually do your work in spatial computing? Well, I do my work. I mean, most of my work is typing <laughs> words right on enough. a screen. <laughs> Text so is it, not going to be great on do, that. Which is partially why this MacBook Pro is overkill. So if this MacBook <laughs> Pro is overkill, it does feel like a Vision Pro headset might be overkill. But I do you have see so some, many words. I do. <laughs> Yeah, that's see, true. All I can words. keep track of all of my words at once. Um, I do think there are some interesting ideas that I'd like to play around with, but many of them are, in my mind, would be very cool if the software exists for them. So, for example, I can totally see the Vision Pro being great for designing spaces. For example, like let's say you are think about like an interior designer or an architect or a construction person and you wanted to visualize a thing in the space, but I don't know if those apps like where that's not just a thing you can do out of the box, right? There's some software that right. has to be created. So I'll be interested to see what apps are built for it when it comes out. Right. And, and I think that'll be kind of interesting to play with. For sure. All right. We're going to go into our bonus topic, our after show, which is going to be our favorite new app of the year for 2023. If you want to get that bonus content and some other benefits, you can support the show directly in Apple Podcast and elsewhere. We'll put those links down in the show notes. You can also follow Jason and myself on different social media platforms. You can follow Jason's work at Inc.com. That link will be in the show notes. And you can follow my YouTube channel and subscribe there. All those links are down there. Let us know what you think of the show. And if you uh, can, take a moment, give us a five-star rating. Because it's a new show that would help the most. If you could give us a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and Spotify, say something nice. Let us know what segments you'd like to hear on the show. We're definitely going to do follow-up and like listener feedback as a regular thing in future episodes. And so we'd love to hear from you guys and have that be a part of the show as well. And if you're a part of the uh, supporting group, 
let's get into the after show. <laughs> 